So glad that you're with us this morning. Thanks for being a part of uh, this service and uh, um, celebrating with us. Uh, today is a fantastic day because we get to talk about uh, Jesus and his resurrection um, for most of our service. And so what we do normally is we preach on a, uh, a book of the Bible, and then we uh, talk about that and talk about how that leads us to Jesus. And so today is all about Jesus and what he's done for us. The cross today is in the way. And the reason why it's in the way is because you need to see Jesus on the cross before you see me. And so that's probably going to happen today. There's going to be a distraction, and the distraction is it's Jesus. And if there's any distraction to have, it's going to be the cross. And so we want to communicate that. Today is about how Jesus is better than anything. Jesus is better than everything or anything that we could go after. In your life, the things that you want, your greatest hope, your greatest joys, Jesus is better than that. Jesus is better than even good things like our family or our job, our income. Jesus is better than all of those things. But we get caught up in things so many times when we believe that Jesus isn't as good as those things. When Jesus isn't as good as the things that we have been pursuing for most of our life. I read recently that 83% of Americans uh, claim Christianity as their religion. 83%. That's a massive number of people. But the truth is, what we need to ask about that is, does it change their lives? Does it change our lives? Is Christianity... The belief in Jesus Christ as the living Savior, does it change your life? For too many of us, it doesn't. It doesn't change our lives because we don't really look into the power and the purpose of who Jesus is and what, how that comes to us through the resurrection. It's an empty cross, and there's an empty grave, and Jesus is alive and well today. And so what does that mean for us? What's that mean for our lives? What's that mean in the details of who we are. Too many times we don't know. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, the whole chapter today, focusing on the last little bit there. But Matthew chapter 28 um, talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how that came to be. And so it says this, no, after the Sabbath, and Saturday was considered the Sabbath at that time. Now, after the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the dis his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. 
And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hallelujah. That's right. That's right. It's a fantastic message. It ends with a promise. It talks about some things there. A couple of things, really. When people think about the resurrection, they oftentimes uh, have difficulty with the supernatural aspect of that. The supernatural aspect uh, they get lost in. And so let me just give you some proofs as to why you might want to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First of all is this, is that it is a group of women who go to see Jesus first. And women were not viewed the way that we would view women today, at least rightly anyway. Women in that day would not be viewed as adequate witnesses in a court of law. They wouldn't be somebody that somebody would look to per se to hear a testimony about something. But Jesus chooses to reveal himself to women on this day. He reveals himself first to these women. They are told to go tell these other men. So the, these women are used. That's the first thing. Why would he do this? Except that this would be out of the ordinary. If you're trying to make up a story, why would you use inadequate witnesses? Now, understand that's not what I believe. That's what that culture would have believed at that time. But secondly, there's this. There's eyewitness account. There's eyewitness account. When you think about the Bible, the Bible isn't uh, one story that is written by one author per se. We believe the Holy Spirit uh, authored the Bible. But when you look at it from a historical perspective, there are multiple authors over many different periods of time. These are not just kind of hearsay, uh, but really what it is, is these are eyewitness accounts of Jesus. Or there was an eyewitness, and that eyewitness told someone else, and they, they wrote it down. And so what happens is this, is that you have this historical record. These are historical manuscripts that make up our Bible today. It is historical record. People get hung up on so many times the fact that, well, you're going to say that he's divine. And what I'm saying is this, is that if there really is a Jesus, and historically speaking, it would be foolish to say that there isn't. Our calendar is divided in half between B.C. and A.D., at the birth of Jesus Christ. And people try to avoid that constantly. But Jesus was born. Our calendar is divided. These are eyewitness accounts. 
And people try to avoid this because they say this. They say, well, you're going to say that Jesus is divine, and so I'm going to discount all of it. But I would say this. If the resurrection really happened, if the resurrection really took place, where are you with God? Where are you with him? Because if the resurrection happened, it means everything. If it didn't happen, it means nothing. But if the resurrection happened, it doesn't matter what I like or what I don't like. If the resurrection happened, it means everything. And as a result, what takes place is this, is that if what Jesus said is true, if what these eyewitnesses said is true, and I would encourage you to investigate, don't just take my word for it. No Christian should just take my word for it. What we should do is we should look at the actual historical record of these people who had firsthand accounts and to begin looking at them. Throughout the New Testament, especially in Acts, what they say is this, you are witnesses of these things. Even the people who don't claim to believe in Jesus Christ or don't claim to be Christians, uh, the apostles, the disciples are saying, you are witnesses of these things. What they're saying is this, they're saying, you saw him. You saw him crucified. You know the stories about people having seen him or you did see him. You know what took place. You saw him. Why would they claim this in front of a group of people who didn't want it to be true? Because immediately they could turn around and say it never happened, it never happened, it never happened. But what we have is a historical record of people. This is actual history. It's not just one guy who went in a closet and said, no, I'm going to make up a new religion. Let's just call it madism. I mean, it would just be, it'd be a horrible religion, and you would not want to do what I want you to do, but this is, this is not from one guy who just made this up. This is a historical record that took place. And then lastly is this. Look at this verse. I believe it's verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. Now, if you're trying to make up a religion and you're trying to manufacture this belief, do you think that you're going to install in that story that you're hoping is going to be read for centuries upon centuries, thousands of years, do you think that you're going to say, you know what, we're going to plant a seed of doubt right there? Do you think you're going to say, you know what, not everybody who was an adherent to Jesus Christ or a friend of his really believed it? No, this is a historical record because you see here that he's saying some doubted. I mean, they're seeing this guy, and they're, they're not even believing it with their own eyes. So if you're here today and you're saying, yeah, I doubt, you're in good company. Because Jesus' own disciples had issues, and their issues were this. I'm seeing a guy who I just saw be whipped, beaten, crown of thorns placed on his head, uh, cru- crucified. I saw him die. I saw them shove a spear in his side, and I saw him take him off the cross and put him in the grave, and yet here he is standing in front of me. Some doubted because they hadn't really seen this before. Some doubted. So there's a big problem, and that is that many people don't go back to the historical record. But there's some reasons to believe. There's some reasons to look into it. There is a promise here. Let's just say that you've investigated, and I want you to go home and investigate. You should do this. But let's just say that you have. What is the promise that follows? What is Jesus saying that he's offering to us? What is he saying that he wants to give us? A few years ago when uh, I was yet married, uh, I was uh, dating my wife. And I was thinking, you know what? I'm liking this girl. 
And uh, I think I want to buy her a ring, but I was broke um, and uh, had no money. I was just first job in ministry, wasn't getting paid much. And so somebody had contacted me and they said, you know what, if you go to Alaska with me and you work for a week, I'm going to give you a load of cash and, uh, you know, what have you. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I go to Alaska. And when I get to Alaska, I realize it's really cold in Alaska. I don't know if you've been there before, but it is incredibly cold. It was like 30 below. And I just thought, who in their right mind would go to this place? I mean, this is like the opposite of hell, but worse than hell. I mean, this is, this is not good. This is not good. It's very cold. My eyelashes are freezing. I'm trying to work. I look like the kid from Christmas Story. I'm like, uh, you know, you like hand me that. And I'm like, I can't. I can't get that for you. So I'm, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so I'm up there working, and I, uh, you know, work all day, and then we uh, come back to this apartment, which apparently was living quarters for many men prior to me. And uh, it was very obvious because you walk in and you just kind of smell. Have you ever smelled this before? It's called dude. Like you walk in and you just smell dude, all right? Dude is not a good smell. I mean, anytime I go to a retreat, God bless you, men. I don't want to be in the same room with you. I want to find a closet. I want to get away. You smell. And uh, probably, I probably smelled. I have a smell as well, but uh, not as bad. So, um, and so I, uh, uh, I go into this, this apartment, dishes piled high. It smells to high heaven. It's incredible. And so I start thinking, you know what? I feel a little, little dirty. I don't even know how because I hadn't sweat at all because I'm so cold, right? And so I was like, you know, I'll just take a shower, maybe warm up a little bit. I go into the bathroom, and the fixtures looked like they needed a haircut. I mean, there was hair everywhere. It's disgusting. And, so I, I, and then I was like, uh, let's uh, kind of tiptoe around that thing, and, uh, you, know, I thought, you know, let's pull the shower curtain back. And I'm thinking, I just want to get into, oh, my God in the world? And I go out and I say to the guy, have you seen the shower? Like, what is going on here? I mean, it was completely brown. I'm like, what is this brown stuff all over the place? It's rust, right, rust. Okay, so I, I was like, you know, it's one of those showers that like you, you want to get like into a full body suit, you know, one of those bunny suits, and then like maybe feel like you've been showered. I, I just don't want to touch anything. It's just kind of like, kind of like this. And so it was a nasty, nasty experience. Now, mind you, I was a bachelor at the time, and so my apartment back home wasn't as bad as that, but it might have been close. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I had some really incredible features in my apartment. I had a, uh, a lawn chair. That was my only chair in the house, by the way. I mean, and it was fine with me. I was like, I don't really need to sit here that much. So I have a lawn chair. And then I had an ironing board. I don't know for what. I wasn't really doing any ironing at the time. But it was set up just in case that day came that I needed to iron something. And then I think I had a coffee table as well. And so I, uh, I, th- this was my apartment. I also had a, uh, you know, I really hate taking out the trash. And so I was in construction at the time. So I had a, you know, contractor grade trash can in the kitchen with the 50 gallon drum, you know, bag in there just to make sure. I mean, we want to make sure we get all the trash. I don't want to take it out that often. So it was a perfect bachelor pad. And so I left Alaska and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to being home uh, for the most part. But I got home and I walked in the door and uh, my girlfriend was, was there. We weren't living together, but she was, she was there. And she had decked out the place. I mean, you walk in, and you don't smell dude, but you s- s- smelled some kind of vanilla crap. I don't know what it was, but it was like, it was, 
It was, it was sweet. It smelled nice. It makes you feel good. Like, oh, that's, that's good. I, I don't normally do that when I smell candles, but um, <clears throat> it smelled nice. And then there was an actual couch, and, I mean, which was a, a novelty to me. I mean, like a couch, and uh, I think there was a TV. I don't think I had a TV before, and, and my wife had actually made a home for me, which is awkward, but she had uh, made my house nice. And I said to myself, this is where I belong. I want to come home to this. I want to be a part of this. This is what home should be like. When you understand the resurrection, it's like coming home. It's like coming home. Because when you come home to Jesus and you realize that Jesus is better than everything else that you've ever wanted, like all of your deepest longings, the stuff that you really want to see happen, like all of that stuff, you know what's happening there? Is that it's only a substitute for Jesus. And I'm not saying that there aren't good things that you should enjoy, but what I'm saying is this, is that oftentimes they become our God. Your family can become your God. Your job can become your job, your, your, uh, your, your God. All of these things are distractions from Jesus. And so when we say that Jesus is better, we're saying that Jesus is better, a person, a real and living person who is the Son of God and, in fact, is God in the flesh. Jesus is better than all of those things. He is the fulfiller of all the things that you've ever desired. And you might say, how is it possible that Jesus is the fulfiller of all of those things? Let me tell you this. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says essentially this, God has put eternity into man's heart. And what this means is this, is that you know how um, in your life you have things that you enjoy. Perhaps it's, it's money or, 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 or sex or um, there's good things in life. Um, it's, it's a house, it's, it's relationships, it's your family. All of those things. Do you know how there's a limit on the things that you experience? It's just like there comes a point where you experience it and it's good, but it just kind of stops and it's just like, or it, it comes to an end. You can't get enough. It's like an addiction. You keep going and you can't get enough and you can't get enough. Or you're always pursuing it and you're going after it and you can't get enough and you can't get enough. Do you know what that desire is of you can't get enough? It is that God has put eternity into your heart. The way that God created you, the true and the living God, is that he created you with a capacity for forever. He created you with a capacity to love things forever. He created you uh, with a capacity to enjoy the greatest good that ever was. Now, the lie that we hear from uh, Satan is this. You remember in the garden when Adam and Eve are eating, a part, eating this fruit they eat this choice fruit that God told them not to eat, and they decide to look, as look aside from what God has told them. And they say, you know what, I'm going to go beyond God because God's keeping something from me. And what they're saying is this, is that I want something else other than God. And so sin entered the world. And that's what we showed on Good Fridays. We showed how sin enters the world. And so we showed this video that shows terrorism and oppression and sin and lying and cheating and everything else. And what we're saying through this is what the Bible says. And that is, and that is this, that sin enters our lives and it comes into us when we find something else better than Jesus. And there's not a one of us that doesn't do this. There's nobody here who's immune to the sin problem. 
I have a sin problem. You have a sin problem. And our problem is essentially rooted in the fact that I refuse to look to God. I refuse to look to him through Jesus Christ as being the true and the living God and find him better than anything else. And so what takes place is a life that's never quite fulfilled, that's never quite there. And what really needs to happen is we need to come home to Jesus and realize that he is better than anything else. He is better than anything else. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? There's a couple of things that we have to realize. If you look back into verse 18, it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I don't know what the 83% of Americans who claim to be Christian really believe. I, I can't really go back and poll them. But I can say this, that I don't think that most of us are on track with the idea that Jesus has authority. But Jesus is speaking to people who are his disciples. A disciple is somebody who is an adherent. There's somebody who is all about Jesus. There's somebody who, is, uh, who wants to learn from Jesus. There's, they say, I'm here to learn from you. And Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so what it means to come home to Jesus and to say yes to Jesus and to say uh, no to everything else that's garnering our attraction is this, is that when I come into Jesus' house, when I come home to him, and I say, I belong here. This is my house. What has to happen is this, is I have to realize that he has authority. And that's a difficult thing to realize because his authority is over us. And his authority speaks to us. And his authority is governing us. His authority tells us what to do. His authority says this. Listen, if you keep pursuing that, it will lead only to death. You're essentially saying with your life that Jesus is not better and that ultimately this thing is better. So Jesus essentially is saying this, my house, my rules. But you got to understand this. And that is that when you play by Jesus' rules, guess what? Things go better. It's like my 72 Ford pickup that I really loved. It was totaled in an accident, but it was a 72 Ford pickup, so how bad can a 72 Ford pickup really be totaled? But it was all crashed up on the right side. I bought it when I was 14 years old, and I used to sit at the end of my street, and I would, uh, I didn't have a license yet, and so I would just like get the back tires and the end of our dead end street, and then I would, uh, you know, make sure the neighbors were inside, and then I would just hit that thing to the floor, wah, and just spin out all the way up the street, and then come back down, and then wah, but here's what happened with my 72 Ford, is that sometimes it would run off balance. And it wouldn't run very well because, you know, they had this ignition system that if I really got into it with you and you cared at all, like you would find out that, it, you know, if it was off just a little bit, so I'd always be messing with this and I'd try to make it work, but then sometimes it'd run off balance and I'd have to fix it again. Here's what happens is that when you are under Jesus' authority, and you submit yourself to him and you say yes to Jesus and you say no to everything else, what happens is this, is that you find out that life works better because you're not pursuing things that are going to lead you to nothing. It doesn't mean that you won't like your family. It doesn't mean that you won't like sex. It doesn't mean that you won't like your job. It means this, that you'll like them in proportion to who Jesus is. 
You'll like them in a proper way rather than an improper way. They will no longer be your God and they won't control you because Jesus has authority over your life and other things do not have authority over your life. So the first thing you have to know is this, is that if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to come home to Jesus, what has to take place is you have to submit to his authority and I have to submit to his authority, his house, his rules. Secondly, he says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, we use this in our church, this passage in our church, to talk about how we want to tell people about Jesus. But here's the thing. Here's the test of whether you really know Jesus. And maybe you know him, but you just haven't quite gotten it yet. But here's the test of really knowing Jesus. Is that if you know the cross If you know what Jesus has done for you through the cross, then what's going to happen is this. There's going to be an overwhelming sense of, I need to tell someone else about this because it's so good. Hey, listen, you're going after everything else in life, and you keep pursuing it, and you keep going after it, and you keep thinking that somehow it's going to fulfill you, and i got to tell you, you're going to destroy your marriage. You're going to destroy your life. And maybe you won't see it fully at the very beginning, but you must understand this, that it will lead to death eventually. And life may not be all messed up right now. Maybe you have enough money to make it okay. But the person who's a disciple and says, Jesus has authority over my life, says this, that I want to go and I want to tell other people about this incredible resurrection because if Jesus was really resurrected in the way that his eyewitness says, then it means everything. If he wasn't, it means nothing, and you don't have to listen to me. But I want to tell you this, that a large percentage of our world believes in this Jesus Christ. A large percentage of our world believes in this. It changed everything that day. Why would they claim this? Why would they go to their death for him? Why would they go to their death through kindness? Why would they go to their death standing for something that they didn't really believe in, that they knew was a lie? They all went to their death. Many of them did, many of the disciples. Why would they do this? So go and make disciples. These people's lives was changed, were changed by the resurrection. They saw the risen Jesus. They believed that it was true. And it says this, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what's happening there is this, that we're going to baptize some people here in a few minutes. And if you want to be baptized today, you can be baptized today too, even if you weren't planning on it and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, we want you to show that through baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. What baptism does is this, is it identifies your life with Jesus Christ That when Jesus was put on the cross and then he was put in the ground or in the tomb, what that shows us is this, that he died for me. And so what we do is when we put someone under the water and we baptize them, essentially what we're doing is we're saying, you're identifying with Jesus Christ and you're being raised from the dead. Resurrection is effective not just for Jesus, but it's effective for me. The resurrection of Jesus Christ affects me. And we're saying this, Jesus wants you to sense it. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to understand it. He wants you to feel this resurrection in your life and to say, yes, I am risen with Jesus Christ. The old me is gone. The new me has come. 
And so there's something different about me and about my personhood because now the resurrection is meaningful to me. Amen. Yes. He says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, what does this mean? What's it mean? It means it's a promise. And what's, what's the promise? Well, Tim Keller very well uh, points this out, and he says this, that that you right there, I'm with you, uh, really shouldn't just be a you, like it's just a, a you as an individual, but it should be more like a y'all, right? Uh, y'all, I am with y'all always. See, so many people, perhaps many of the 83% of Americans who claim to be Christians are really just people who are just kind of like, yeah, I'm in this thing, but I don't really uh, do anything. I identify as Christian, but it doesn't affect my life. I identify as Christian, but I'm not, never, not really under the teaching of Jesus Christ. I'm not really in that. But what he's saying is this. Is he says, there's a major promise. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you know God? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with God? Jesus is the one who's going to be with us to the end of the age. Where is he going to be with us? He's going to be with us in his word. He speaks to us through his word. I am going to be with you. I am with you always. He's with you in the word. He preaches to us through the word. He preaches, us, uh, preaches to us. He teaches us through the people who have been set up, such as a pastor, me, teaching us what the word of God says. Jesus is speaking to you insofar as it is in line with what the scriptures say. Jesus is with you always when you're with God's people. Jesus is with you. He's with y'all. You can't just say, okay, I've got this relationship with God, and it's just me and Jesus. You might have a relationship with God, but you're living in disobedience if you're not with God's people. And if you're not with God's people, what's really happening is this, is you're not experiencing Jesus on the level that you should be experiencing him. Because of this, when I look at somebody else and I say, you know what, I cannot get over how much they love the idea of heaven, of the, the culmination of all things. When Jesus returns and he takes those of us to be with him forever, I, I can't get over my friend who really experiences Jesus or my friend who really experiences the resurrection because of this. I experience Jesus better when I'm with my friend. Your friend experiences Jesus better when they're with you. This is how the body of Christ works together. You're with Jesus. Jesus is with you when you're with God's people. And it doesn't mean that he's not with you personally. It means that as well. But it especially means it when you're with God's people, the body of Christ. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Do you have that assurance? Do you have the assurance that the resurrection is meaningful in your life, that you've come home to Jesus. Do you have that assurance? Let me tell you one defining difference. Let me tell you one defining difference. There's a lot of us who say this. You know what? I've got a heart for God. You might say it this way. You know what? I like God. 
I like, you know, hey, pastor, I'm here. Why are you yelling at me, right? I talk loud. Leave me alone, right? You might say, you know, I'm, I, I, I like God. I'm, I'm, I'm into the God thing. I, I mean, I'm, I'm for him. I'm, in a, I'm, I'm voting for God. If it's God, yes, I'm, I'm in on that. I'm for God. But I, I just got to tell you that there is a massive difference, like a gulf of a difference. There's a massive difference between saying this, I am for God and I am after God. One of those, being for God, liking God, is standing outside of the house saying, I'm content in Alaska in this nasty bathroom. I'm content with all of that, and I'm content with living that way, uh, but I'm for God. I, yep, see your house. Very good. The other one is this. It's completely different, and it says this. I am after God. I'm pursuing him. I desire him. I want to be a part of him. I want that promise that he's with me to the very end of the age because I don't want to stand in front of God without an advocate because that's what you get with Jesus. I want to stand with Jesus because the word of God says this. The eyewitnesses say this. Historically, what we've said about Christianity is this, is that you can't stand in front of a holy God without an advocate because of this. Adam and Eve took that bite and it messed up all of history. Because of their sin, I'm sinful. Because of their sin, all of humanity is sinful. Because of their sin, nothing will be made right unless God intervenes. And God did intervene. And he intervened through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He intervened and he broke through time. And he comes and he lives a perfect life. And yet he's completely brutalized. He was not just a movement leader. You're responsible for this information. Here's why. You've heard it. You're hearing the gospel today. He was not just a person. He was not just a movement leader. He was not just that. He literally was God in the flesh. And what he says happened on that cross is that he died for your sins and he died for my sins. But the only way to that is this, is that you have to recognize his authority. And you have to say, your house, your rules, you made creation, it's your house. I want to live with you. I want to pursue you. I want to be after you. And so I'm going to say the same thing about me, and that is I have been seeking other things other than Jesus. Don't be prideful. I have to say the same thing about me. It's not a crutch. It's a reality. I constantly am like, oh, there's oh that, yeah. But Jesus is better. Jesus is better. His house is better. Pursuing him is better because he is the fulfillment of all good things in God. And if you know Jesus, then you're pursuing God. And if you don't know Jesus and you're just doing your, your thing, then you're just for God. And I want to tell you, that's not a comfort. Because when you're pursuing Jesus, he will be with you to the very end of the age. Not only does it change what happens there, but it changes my life here on out. The resurrection says so. Now, how do you get there? I'll tell you how I got there. 
I grew up in a Christian home. I couldn't tell what it meant to follow God. I, could, I couldn't understand what that meant. Someone showed me this verse in Jeremiah 29, 13, which says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God says to his people at that time, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. What's that mean? What part of my heart isn't seeking you, Jesus? What part of my heart is after something else? Do you know you'll keep finding these things in your life? The life of a Christian isn't just beginning and saying, okay, I'm sorry for all the bad things I've done. I accept you. Okay, going on with my life. No, the process of a Christian is this. I'm seeking after Jesus. And if you say, you know what, I've sought after God and I can't seem to find him. No, God is saying this. Seek him with your whole heart. You sacrifice for him and you say, you know what, forget that. I'm going to let those things go. And I'm going to say, I'm going to make it a point of being with Jesus. I'm going to make it a point of being with God's people. I'm going to make it a point of hearing from God through his word. He's with me always to the very end of the age. I want to seek him. I want to hear from him. So that's what I'm going to do. You must seek him with your whole heart. Not part of your heart, not a little bit of your heart, not almost all of your heart, but with your whole heart. That's the difference between just being for God and actually pursuing God. That's the difference between kind of sitting in Alaska saying, oh, that looks nice, and being at home with Jesus. That's the difference between saying, he is kind of my God, and no, he has authority over me. What you're being invited to today is not half of a relationship with Jesus. It's a whole relationship. You must give your life to Jesus Christ today. Don't put it off. I would love to speak with you in the back. I would love to see you get baptized if you haven't been baptized. We have some people already being baptized. We have a towel for you. I think we have a t-shirt for you. It would be a great occasion. We would love to see it happen. Give your life to Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. So, Lord, I, I know that there's folks in here that don't know you or they thought that they've known you on some level. And, Lord, I'm not questioning anyone's salvation. But I want to be sure and I want them to be sure that they do know you. And so today, Lord, I pray that these folks would commit themselves to understanding that you are better than everything. You are better than anything. Your resurrection makes it meaningful. Your resurrection is the thing that has changed time forever. Your resurrection is the meaningful event in all of this world. It brings authority over us, but you also have authority to change all things. All things have been placed underneath you. And so, Lord, there are circumstances in our lives that need to change. And so we pray for that. Lord, there's people who have never truly investigated you, but they've listened to liars who say that they think that they know, and they've set aside the historical proof that you are the Son of God and the eyewitness accounts, and they've just been dissuaded from even looking at this when it is the most serious matter in their life. Lord, I pray that you would place upon them an urgency to know you, to love you, to look into you. Lord God, we ask you for that. I pray that we would know and understand that the thing that we're after is you. 
The thing that we're after is you. And I pray that we'd stop searching in other places, in empty wells, but Lord, that we would search for you. That we'd come into your house and say, this is where I belong. That we'd pursue you and say that Jesus is better and he is over me. It's in your name we pray. Amen.